Um, okay, so this has nothing to do with anything, but let me start off because a few people have already asked. Um, so last week I shared, if you weren't here last week, I shared that I felt just uncomfortable, I felt unsettled because my black belt was in Fayetteville. My son took it with him back to school and I was wearing a brown belt, even though y'all couldn't see it when I should have been wearing a black belt. I just felt off, it just felt wrong. Um, I called him that afternoon just to check in um, and I promised him that I would clear his good name. Um, I'm wearing my black belt now because it's not in Fayetteville. It was on the floor in my closet. (laughs) Um, So that has nothing to do with anything. I just promised him I publicly, uh, I publicly condemned him. So now I publicly absolve him from (laughs) taking my clothes with him to Fayetteville. So uh, let's pray and we can actually do something important. (laughs) Let's pray. Father God, so grateful. Um, even actually, even in stories like that, you call us to be a part of a family and that's, that's kind of what families are. We're sometimes just a mess and there's, there's chaos and it's complicated. And sometimes we're just trying to figure out where our stuff is and how to get along. And that's okay. It's just what it's like to be human. And we are grateful that you've given us a place to practice that together to go through those ups and downs together, to learn how to to argue and disagree, but to learn how to do it well, not like the nonsense that we hear out in the world. To learn to ask for forgiveness, to admit when we're the ones that were wrong. You've given us a place to practice all of this and that is beautiful. That is how close this community is meant to be. So we pray that you would continue to do that, knit us together in that way, draw us closer and closer together. Make us one as you called us to be one. So that when we leave this place and this one body goes in separate ways, that we are still on the same mission, we have the same purpose, that we are taking what we experience here, what it's like to be a part of this family. We're taking it with us everywhere we go. And we're just inviting people to come and join us. So we thank you for this time. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the gospel that's gonna be proclaimed. We pray that as it is, that you'd open our mind, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we could receive it in fresh and new ways. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So God is calling us to faithfully steward our time, our talents, our treasures for his glory for the purposes of his kingdom. That's what the stewardship season is all about. That's what we're doing the past couple weeks. Two weeks ago, uh, Roland reminded us that there is always work to be done. And as the people of God, we should never grow weary in the purpose and the mission and the values to which we have been called. Last week, we looked at that purpose and mission. We went over our values. And then I began to lay out the vision that our session has uh, for the next five years of ministry. And we're calling that vision growing together. And much of it comes from Ephesians 2, and we're gonna read most of Ephesians 2 today. And one thing that Ephesians 2 makes really clear, um, it is really easy, especially in this individualistic culture that we live in, it's very easy to keep our faith private. In, In many places we've kind of been taught that it's just about me and my personal relationship with Jesus. 
And listen, that, that does matter. But for generations, we've been told to keep religion, to keep politics private, right? Don't talk about those two things in public, right? Were you taught that as kids? Well, we've all been trained really well because now we don't know how to talk about those things at all. Right, when those issues, when any issue comes up now, all we do is yell at each other or we just waste our time talking about things that don't matter. Friends, I'm telling you, your faith is not private. Politics by definition is not private, (laughs) it's ridiculous. Your faith is not private. You are a part of a community. And the letter that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus is all about a particular type of community that we are called to be. Paul is telling us that true faith is experienced in a particular kind of community. So let me read this to you. This comes from Ephesians 2. I'm gonna start in verse one. And like I said, we're gonna read most of the chapter today. He writes this. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. That'll preach. (laughs) That's heavy, right? That's an intense introduction. So then he gives us two words, and these, these are some of the, Two of the most important words in all of scripture. In the next verse, he says this, but God. In light of everything you just heard, he says, but God is so rich in mercy and loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And then he goes on in verse nine, salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We'll read more in a minute, but this is the word of our Lord. And thanks be to God for it. So we are made in the image of God, but we are clearly broken. That passage makes that abundantly clear. But that's evidence that we are fully known. And even though we're fully known, we are still loved, still worth dying for. By God's grace, we're being made new and we're given a place where we truly belong. We're given a family. But listen again, that passage began like this. It began once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, but it ends with we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. And then it tells us why he did that. It says, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, again, our individual ears in an individualistic society, we can be tempted to hear that from an individual perspective. But when Paul's writing, I've told you this before, Paul uses the word y'all all all the time. (laughs) All y'all, it's Greek grammar. He's talking to us. This is not about you. It is not about me. It's about us. We are God's masterpiece so that we can do the good things he's laid out for us. Now, when Paul wrote Ephesians, especially in chapter two, 
He's talking to a particular we, to a group of people 2,000 years ago, and I'm telling you, they were dealing with some serious drama. It was so serious that Paul called it a dividing wall of hostility in the church. And this wall became a barrier to ministry and it had to come down because it threatened the future of the church. Now, last week we talked about a division here in our church, a generational divide that has to be addressed and overcome if we are truly going to grow together. Now, thankfully, it's not a dividing wall of hostility, but it is a barrier to future ministry. But I'm telling you, there are other dividing walls that need to come down. Listen, listen to a little bit more about the drama going on in the Ephesian church, and then we'll dig a little deeper into our own drama. Um, again, chapter two, starting in verse 11. He says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So that barrier, that wall of hostility that kept Jesus' church in Ephesus from growing together, for them, it was the division between Jew and Gentile. And the word Gentile just describes anybody who's not a Jew. And we're talking like real dividing walls. Herod's temple, the temple in Jerusalem in the first century, had a literal dividing wall that separated the Gentile court, the outer court from the rest of the temple area. So the nations were invited to come to Jerusalem and look at the place where God dwelt, but they weren't allowed to come near it. They couldn't approach it themselves. There were signs posted all around to make this really clear. There was one that was found in 1871. It's now on display in a museum in Istanbul. It says this, it says, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. <laughs> now God formed Israel and blessed them, not so that they could put signs like that on their walls. He formed them and blessed them so that they would be a blessing to the nations. They were to reveal the glory of God to the nations so that the nations could find their home in the throne room of God. But that's not the way things turned out. Uh, William Barclay, another commentator, he wrote this. This is how he described the tension between Jew and Gentile. He said, Jews at the time believed Gentiles were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. They said God loves only Israel of all the nations that he'd made. It wasn't even lawful to help a Gentile mother in her time of need because that would only bring another Gentile into the world. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out because they thought contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. That is not what God had in mind. That's what religion can do. The Gentiles were not just foreigners. They weren't just foreigners in the sense that they were from some other place. They were other. 
They were alien. They did not belong. Like not only were they alienated from God by their sin, like all of humanity, they were alienated from God's people. They had no family, no place to call home, no hope, lost and alone. There's a 20th century German existentialist named Martin Heidegger. Uh, He used a German word to describe this feeling. It's this word, unheimlichkeit. Spit on your neighbor, say it with me. Unheimlichkeit. So the word, it actually means like a strangeness or a weirdness. It's used to describe like that uh, eerie feeling when you're someplace that maybe you shouldn't be. Heidegger uses this word to describe the sense that we just don't belong. That we're like exiles, often feeling lost and alone. I'm telling you in our time, that's the pandemic that we're ignoring. Like we are more connected than at any other time in human history. Yet so many people report that they feel more and more isolated and alone. Like we're living in a world where it seems like we just don't fit. Like we're not quite at home. We're exiles, lost and alone. What if there were a people who had found a real home, a place where they truly belong, a place where their alienation from God had been restored and where that restoration leads to healing and wholeness in their personal relationships as well? What if there was a people who found a place like that? What if after finding a place like that, a home, a place to truly belong, what if those people made the same mistake as ancient Israel and chose to just keep it for themselves? The good news is that we have been invited into such a place. We have been given a people, we have given a family, but I'm telling you, Ephesians 2 is telling us that we've been given more than a family. Listen to the rest of it, this is verse 17. He brought good news of peace to Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. We are no longer strangers and foreigners. The Greek word for this, you know it. The Greek word for stranger and foreigner is the word xenoi. It's where we get a very familiar word as of late. It's where we get our word xenophobia, fear of the stranger and the foreigner. No longer because of what Christ has done, we are no longer strangers. By the way, we'll talk about this a little more next week, but the word hospitality in Greek, it's the word philozenia. Two words, philo meaning love or brotherly love, and xenia, foreigner or stranger. We fall into xenophobia. The word for hospitality in Greek is philozenia the love of the foreigner and the stranger. But we are no longer strangers, that's what we aren't. The text goes deeper than that, it says what we are. It says we are citizens with God's holy people, members of a kingdom together. 
But it goes deeper than that because citizens can live together in a kingdom and they can still be separated by miles. We can live together in a city and be separated by miles. You live in a city with other Houstonians and you're an hour away from each other. So the connection goes even deeper. We talked about this last week. The church isn't like a family. The church is a family. The church is not an organization that exists to serve my purposes and meet my needs. It's a family. It's a living legacy that we hand off to the generations that come after us. That's why last week we made the case that we must overcome generational divisions in our church. It would be so strange in any home if grandparents and their grandkids never talked, never interacted, never played together, never laughed together, never sang together. That would be unacceptable in any home and it should be unacceptable in the church. So we have to bridge that divide and build the church of the future together. So the church is not like a family, the church is a family, but that connection goes even deeper still. Extended family can still live miles away. But even when a family lives within one household, y'all, there are many families living within a household who are still deeply divided. Jesus' vision for the church goes even deeper than that. Listen to this, verse 20 again. He says, together we are his house. The cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Another disciple of Jesus says something almost identical, but he does something really word with this, really interesting with this word cornerstone. I wanna show you, this is First Peter 2. Peter writes this, he says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But listen to what he says next. Verse six and seven, and verse six, he quotes the Old Testament. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, in verse seven, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Okay, hang with me for just a second. This might be getting in the weeds, but I think it's important because we missed something in English. In verse six, the first time Paul uses that word cornerstone, he uses the, the generic word for cornerstone in Greek. It's, it's that word. <laughs> I tried for days, I can't say it. So I don't know, you can try it, it doesn't matter. That's the word. And that word, literally what it literally means, it means something that's lying at the extreme edge. So it describes something that's far off, on the edge. But in verse seven, he uses a different word. Now we still translate it as cornerstone because that word has grown in meaning for us in the English. But the Greek in verse seven, he says that Christ is the kephale guanias. Kephale is the Greek word for head. The headstone. Y'all, we have a better word for this in English. He's describing a capstone. That's the last stone that's put in place. It's the stone that holds all the other stones together. It's the stone that presses all the other stone against one another. In education, a capstone is a, a piece of work that shows that a student can take what they've learned and apply it to the real world. Peter is saying that the stone that was on the edge that was rejected has now become the stone that holds everything in place. 
And now that that stone is holding us all into place, pressing us closer and closer together, this structure that has been built has real use and real application, not only in the life to come, but in life right now. Y'all, we believe that God is growing us into a people whose togetherness grows deeper and deeper. We start as citizens together of a city, of a kingdom. And then we become extended family. And then we move in together into one household. But then we are stones. We are formed. We are cut. We are shaped so that when we are pressed together, there is no separation. There is no division between us. And it builds a house upon the foundation of truth that's held together by the capstone by Jesus himself keeping us safe and secure forever. And our relationship with him and with one another, he is making a way forward and he's inviting us to take that next right step so that we can serve his good purposes. So we believe that growing together means overcoming the dividing walls that we build around ourselves. The walls that keep us separated from one another. Some of those are cultural walls, but some of them are personal. Sometimes we build those walls to keep us safe from each other, to protect us from one another. But all they do is give us an excuse to be less than transparent with who and what we really are. So the question that the church has to deal with, especially reading Ephesians 2, is how deep are we willing to go? Like how deep are we willing to take these relationships? Are we, will we settle for just being citizens of the same town? A church where people can come and go. You show up on one Sunday, maybe you come a couple in a row, you disappear for a month and nobody notices. In one door, out the other. Is that what the New Testament describes? Is that what the church sounds like when you read the New Testament? Will we settle for just being citizens of a town or will we follow that pathway that Jesus has paved, that Peter and Paul are describing, moving from citizens to family, from extended family to members of a household and from a household to stones pressed upon one another, no separation, no division. It doesn't mean that we're all the same. We'll talk about this next week. The New Testament is clear. We are to be unified, but that doesn't mean that we need to be uniformed. We are individual stones laid together, making one home. And listen, we are all gonna be at different places on this journey. Like some, we're just not ready. We're not ready to move from being members of the same community to being members of the same family. Most people are not willing to be stacked on top of one another and pressed together. (laughs) That sounds awkward. (laughs) It's uncomfortable. I like my space. It's okay. It's just that wherever you are, wherever you are, Jesus has a next step for you. He has somewhere deeper that he wants to take you. We are no longer alienated from God. We are no longer homeless and estranged. We are no longer umheimlichite. That means that we don't need to live alienated from one another either. Jesus is inviting us to be connected, to be committed, to be truly united, to become one. He is forming us into a new humanity without dividing lines. And he's inviting us not only to be a part of it, 
He's inviting us to be a visible demonstration of it so that the world can see what the church is truly meant to be. I'm telling you, if that's what the world saw when they looked at the church, that would make a difference. Okay, so I just wanna share with you three things really quickly that we're gonna dig deeper into the next week. Uh, These come from Tim Keller. Um, These are three things, like three marks, three steps that we'll know that we're moving in the direction of this kind of real relationship in the church. And the first marker, he says that a, a church is a place where relationships should deepen to the point of personal accountability. Like, are there people in this community who know what's really going on with you. And listen, one of the beautiful things about this church, and don't misunderstand me, this is a beautiful thing. This church cares for one another physical needs like few that I've seen. If someone here has a physical need, a meal, a ride, prayer, someone to sit with them as they're suffering a sickness or an illness, this church steps up. We are comfortable and we are ready to do that. And that is good, and we should never, ever let that go. But what's the next step? I'm talking about the deep stuff. Are there people in this congregation who know what's really going on with you? And listen, you shouldn't share it with everybody. (laughs) But do you have two or three people that you can call in the middle of the night when life is falling apart? that you can call when you're struggling against sin and you feel like you're gonna lose? Are there people in your life who know about your failures and your faults? Keller likes to say it this way, I think this is funny, but it's true. Are there people in your life that have a hunting license to come after you when they see you going the wrong direction? (laughs) Now here's the deal, that kind of relationship, that can't be programmed, that can't be forced. That kind of relationship is the natural result of two or more people coming together, submitting to the Lordship of Christ, building that relationship on the foundation of truth and setting it firmly in place, held together by Jesus himself. Do you have these relationships? The second marker, he says that the church is the place where relationships should deepen to the point of whole life hospitality. Not just letting people into your home, letting people into your life. Like, you can't keep who you are private from your brothers and sisters, right? They know you better than anyone. You can't keep your stuff away from your brothers and sisters either. But when you're in a home, when you're building these kind of relationships, when you have people who know the deep stuff that relationship becomes more valuable than anything that you could own. The final thing he says is the church is a place where these relationships should deepen to the point of what he calls corporate spirituality. And that sounds strange, but what was the final image that Paul gave to the Ephesians? Not just a city, not just a family, it was a temple. He said, we are being carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are being made a part of this dwelling where God lives. 
Y'all, when Jesus walked on the earth, he said that he had no place to rest his head. He was homeless. Unheimlichkeit. When he died on that cross, our creed tells us he descended into hell utterly and completely separated from the Father, from his home. Unheimlichkeit. And he became that way on our account, a stranger, an outcast. But by his resurrection, he is now forming his home, the place where he will dwell forever and ever, in and within and above and below and around and through us, not Chad alone and not you alone. He dwells in and among us together. The church is the dwelling place for the living God. Our relationship should reflect that, should be a demonstration of that good news. That is what we are inviting a lost and lonely world into. Wanderers, people who feel like they have no place. This is going deeper. And this is part of what it means to grow together. We're using this image of a tree on purpose because a tree only grows up and out. It only becomes more influential if its roots run really deep. It can only reproduce, it will only thrive. It is only really healthy when those roots run really deep. So over the next year, we're gonna continue to build and communicate strategies that'll help us to overcome those barriers and those walls that we build around ourselves, but this can't be forced. Relationships like this cannot be programmed. They only deepen to this level when each of us cooperates with the Holy Spirit submits to the lordship of Christ and trusts in him, allows him to continue to do that transforming, shaping, and molding work in us. Our job is just to provide an environment and an opportunity for that to happen. Your job, our job as the individuals within the church is to be brave, to trust the Lord, to take that brave next step. It's vulnerable, it's scary. You don't have to dive all the way into the deep end. You might drown, that's not good. (laughs) But just one step at a time. The Lord's with you. We're here. Let's pray. Father, the word family for me means a lot of things. Growing up as a kid, it wasn't really a word that I would use to describe things in a positive way. I am grateful that by your grace, I was able to marry into a family that showed me what that meant, that I was able to build a family, that that family has found a home here in a church family that continues over 20 years to show me what real family and real home is like. I pray that everybody in this room today would come to know how beautiful that is, would be willing to trust you to take them deeper into that family, into that home. And I pray that we would be brave and courageous enough to understand that is what we are inviting a lost and lonely world into. They are alienated from God. They don't have to be anymore. And once their alienation from you is healed, then everything else begins to heal as well. Help us to understand what this is. The church, it is precious, it's sacred, it is holy. Help us to live into it in the way that it deserves. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.
Amen. Amen.